welcome to the Found Cause, where we found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my left is... Theodore, off the couch this week. It's true, he's off the couch. You were, like, so lonely last week, like, sitting on the couch, like, cowering in the corner. I'm, so, I'm glad we got it you was, a chair this week. It was week. all right. It was proper for my uh, participation. Yeah. In that specific episode. Okay. And then to his right is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. It's actually our left, but you're right. <sighs> all right. Gentlemen... One time we got a review from, I think, Sebastian's mother or something that said, please stop doing the weird, weird intro. So we're going to stop doing those. Instead, we're just going to jump right into today's episode, which is not a reaction video. It's not some specialty weird video that gets a lot of views. This is an obscure topic that we feel is important to touch on. And that is, if you watch, if you're a diligent watcher of the Found Cause podcast, you will have seen our episode that was, what can you glean from just the seven undisputed letters of Paul? Now, we as Christians, as a caveat, do not dispute any of the letters of the Bible. We believe them all to be the word, inspired word of God. So we hold to them all as true. But um, we had some reactions from my atheist that we responded to called Apologia, where he was claiming, and other atheists do as well, and other Bible critics and whoever else, that there's only seven undisputed epistles from Paul. And the rest of the Bible was concocted afterwards as a reaction to these letters from Paul and some event that may or may not have happened. Of course, we refute all that. But we wanted to play their game. Um, you you want to, as Proverbs says, um, not answer a fool according to their folly, i.e. don't use the logic they use because they're foolish, but also answer them according to their folly because then they, lest they be wise in their own eyes. So show them their folly by answering them as if they were true because it makes their whole story fall apart. So in the case of this, in the case of the seven undisputed letters of Paul, we don't agree with that. So we're not going to answer the fool according to their folly and play their game by saying that we agree with that. Um, but secondarily, we are going to show them what you can even get from those same seven letters that still shows that Christianity is not um, something to be taken lightly. It's true historical faith, um, that you still need to repent and believe that Jesus is still considered God, etc. In this case, there's another claim that you hear a lot from atheists and Bible scholars and even some well-meaning Christians out there occasionally that says this. The Gospels were not written simultaneously, which is true. We agree the Gospels are written at different times. And by Gospels, I mean the four first letters of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, respectively in your Bible, um, that those four letters to the church were that were written about Jesus's life are not simultaneous. And in fact, the, so the atheist says, they're built off of one another and by authors well after the fact. So they claim typically that there was an original gospel story or something that happened and that it was an oral tradition or maybe an original manuscript that's been lost to time and over time they have developed into what eventually became the gospel of mark which was the smallest it was not originally written by mark it was written by some anonymous author that was trying to create a new religion or trying to concoct folktale stories and that that got associated with one of the apostles in this case mark and that other authors throughout the centuries or decades or however long they decide to put on the timeline to try to make christianity sound like it was made up um, added things to that story. So Matthew added things to that story, and then Luke added things to Matthew's story, and then John threw out the whole thing and decided to write his own gospel that deified Jesus. That's the typical line you'll hear in college um, from those like Bart Ehrman, from atheists galore. We don't agree with that. In fact, Christians traditionally attribute the first gospel being written to Matthew, mm -hmm. which is why the gospel of Matthew comes first in your Bible. Um, it's not a hill we die on. It is truly tradition and anything that aren't straight from scripture. We don't want to die on those hills. Um, but we would also test that the first gospel is probably Matthew based on the way it's written. Um, we would not deny that the gospels can take the same, same stories from each other, even the same wordings, not only because a, they might have read each other. It's not unlikely that mm -hmm. um, the author of Mark, Mark read Matthew's letter. 
and then decided to shrink it. But we would say that because uh, Matthew wrote a large letter, Mark decided to shrink portions of it and summarize it for use of greater generability in the church, cheaper manuscripts, what have you. Um, so it doesn't have some of the details that Matthew has. Luke says his mission in the outright in the beginning of the letter of what he's meaning it for. So it's a longer gospel than Matthew or Mark. And that uh, John would have come last because we just we know generally when John would have written it um, around the Gnostic time when he was an old man. In any case, um, we want to examine and play and answer the fool according to his folly. And say, though we disagree that Mark is the oldest and most reliable letter, um, we will show you that it is not some simplified non-deified Christ. It's not some castrated, truncated gospel. It is the full message of truth that you can get out of it. So we want to examine what can you as a Christian get out of even just the gospel of Mark so you can answer the cool accor- a fool according to their folly when an atheist or a liberal Christian responds that he only trusts Mark, that that's the original Christianity and the rest is all made up. We also do have a couple quotes from Matthew, just in case you have a Christian, and we believe as Christians that it really is the first gospel. If you want to use those, Matthew has some more fodder in it anyways, so we'd like to, to present it. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to these young men who have done most of the work. First with you, Sebastian, you've got a whole outline list of objects that we can get out of Mark and even just from Mark um, that we can use when we respond to an atheist. Absolutely, absolutely. And even for your own edification as a Christian, you can take all these points. These are, not, as some would say, some silly people out there say Christianity was consolidated, solidified at the Council of Nicaea mm-hmm. 300 years after the fact. Sadly, Nicaea, as we have said many times before, did absolutely nothing except they just went in there, high-fived each other, and then left. Yep. And then two days later, half the Christian world is Aryan, so they did yep. absolutely nothing. Again, these beliefs were codified, if you want to say, from the very early church. Mm-hmm. By directly by either the disciples, like John or Matthew, or by a scribe like Mark on behalf of Peter's, according to Papias and whatnot. So what we want you to see here is the the beliefs that we hold as foundation as Christians can be gathered just from this very brief and short story of Mark, which in my humble opinion, and not just mine, but also a few others, I see Mark more as a summary a concise summary of the story of Jesus and his ministry versus Matthew is more and John are more of an explanatory connection. They're making connections for you, for the reader, so you can understand what is going on. Whereas Mark, the way I've read it through multiple times and also other um, biblical scholars have read, it's more done as like a checklist type of story. In case you're not familiar, Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Precisely why I say this. Now, something extremely important with with both Actually, with all the New Testament, critical. This is connected to the Old Testament. All the Gospels, all the Epistles are continuation of the Old Testament. Sadly, there are many Christians nowadays that say we can throw the Old Testament out the window Mm -hmm. or Jesus is such a nice guy. God was so mean in the Old Testament. I say you need to go home and take a nap. And reconsider your life choices. So All right. the reason for that is right off the bat here in Mark, it says in the first chapter, as it is written, and I say of the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What is he doing? According from the Old Testament, he does this throughout the gospel of Mark and Matthew, of course. This is at, I, I, I giggle. We've done a whole episode on Gnosticism. And 
I would reference you to that for to see exactly all the Gnostic groups that are out there. Mm -hmm. Gnostics were not another sect of Christianity. Yes, they said with their mouths, we're Christians. I think that no one called themselves Gnostic back then. But then again, they worshiped the serpent in the garden. Some groups did. They thought Yahweh in the Old Testament raped Eve. Yep. And did a bunch of other weird things like Jesus being a hologram or like a ghost and never having a real body. To me, and maybe I'm just a weird guy, that doesn't seem to connect at all with the Old Testament if you're throwing insults at Yahweh. It's like Mormons or some other fringe group that's not really Christians. Exactly. So as Christians, we stand on the foundation of the Old Testament. We're going to see that all throughout. We also see the Trinity. The Trinity. We have done this also another episode. The Trinity. That's a good Trinity <laughs> pun right there. Uh -huh. What a wonderful slip of the tongue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, when he came up from the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The Father speaking, the Spirit descends, Jesus Right the water. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. At any point, please, you're more than welcome to mm -hmm. comment. And then, oh my gosh. Wow, we have we actually have done videos in all these groups. Repent and believe. You might be saying, some are saying, yeah, you don't need to repent. Oh, you could have just believe in Jesus, man. Believe. You can do whatever you want afterwards. Your ticket is punched. You're going straight on to heaven. That's antinomianism, by the way. A heresy of rejecting the law, which we do not reject the law. We say Jesus fulfills the law, but he does not done it do away with it, as he says in Matthew as well. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, in the good news. Repent and believe. What does he say? Repent and believe. That's even a verse I had memorized for a while. Um, it's one I would recommend having memorized if you're going to have like a list memorized. Um, I had memorized it actually for witnessing to Mormons. Um, because of that very reason that the gospel is to repent and believe. It's uh, other people, uh, common Christian verse to memorize are ones that like, who, he who calls in the name of the Lord is mm -hmm. shall be saved. But those aren't um, fully encompassing of how you are saved. And so I don't think they're particularly useful, especially when talking to somebody who thinks they are calling on the name of the Lord, whether it's Muslim or a heretic. So um, we would I would point to this one as a better summary verse, and that is repent and believe. Um, as it also says when Jesus is proclaiming the gospel in Matthew as well. He says, repent and believe in the good news. So that repentance, I actually heard, we did an episode for one of the Christian sects, her heretics, um, that says you don't need to repent from sin. Um, and the, one of the commenters said that you don't realize we do believe that sect does believe in repentance. They just don't believe in repentance from sin. They believe in repentance of workspace salvation or something, <laughs> something like contrived notion but in any case this is clearly repentance of sin that is the gospel that jesus and john the baptist preached amen yeah and it's right at the outset of mark yep so even if you're not responding to an atheist these are just good things to have on hand if you're responding mm -hmm. to anybody mormons Jehovah's witnesses it has the trinity in there we've got the repentance gospel so this is useful for all works of faith and practice not just responding to atheists but it does happen to be from the book that atheists trust the most at least the gospels mm, and also ironically too Mark does show all throughout the divinity of Jesus. Whenever he casts out demons, he just straight up says to them, get out and leave. Mm -hmm. I'm summarizing here, but you get the point. Normally, if you're an apostle or a regular human like us, you say, in the name of God, get out of this person. Mm -hmm. But if Jesus is God, he can just say, leave. I that. command you, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then he also reads minds. So again, for anyone that says that there are no miracles in the gospel of Mark, 
that is very silly because when he is healing the uh, paralytic, he, here's what it says. The Pharisees were thinking in their hearts, and immediately, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins by God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Pick up your bed and go home. He should have added, take a nap afterwards, but you know. <laughs> Nonetheless, he is, he has the authority to not only heal anyone on the spot, but also to eh, forgive sins, as he, was, as he was saying on himself, too. So, I can just imagine that scene must have been like a jaw-dropping, especially for the Pharisees. Right. But again, Christ is powerful. Throughout his ministry, he is healing people left and right. He is casting out demons and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So that is something that you can definitely just take away from just Mark. Something I want to highlight, as, as I mentioned to you guys earlier, I saw a documentary. I, th I think it was History Channel. Why am I watching History Channel? Who knows? Don't yeah, ask these questions. in 2022. I don't know why you're watching it, but all right. Yes. Yeah. All, all of it was about, is the Bible edited? Has the Bible been uh, Refined, doctored, doctored yes. do oh, that's the word they used. Yes, exactly. And then they have people like Bart Ehrman and other atheists and then liberal Jews in it. So I mean, this is going to be great. And the narrator was all about this. Like, could it be that they made up these stories? Or why are you asking these questions? You haven't answered any of these questions. like still shots, black and white, of like zooming in on ancient medieval tapestries of Jesus. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they did something so strange that I, I mean, I mean, to me, I find very strange. They said that this, the, the title "Son of Man" doesn't mean anything with doesn't equate anything with divinity. It just means I'm just a regular man because the Bible, the G Jesus would have spoken in Aramaic, which is very true. I agree. The Bible was written in Greek, so this is just a mistranslation because "Son of Man" in Aramaic apparently just means a dude, a, human. a dude, a human. Yes, but I'm like, I mean, you don't see that he is quoting this and people get excited when he says that because he's quoting back to Daniel again showing the connection with the Old Testament in when he says to himself the son of man he says as a singular son of man of one man Tide, again going back to the title of the Old Testament in Daniel where he says I saw the son of man coming out of the clouds of heaven with power and great glory he ascended to heaven and was given glory at the right hand of the father a kingdom and glory it was a messianic prophecy from Daniel 7 exactly then when it uses this to refer to regular humans i have noticed that it says sons of men it sounds a little bit strange in english but most bibles it says sons of men As just mankind yeah yeah but i mean from what i've gleaned in greek it says sons of men plural of males if you want to if mm. you want to say that so from my understanding was that refers to regular humans again emphasizing the distinction between generic people and Jesus attributing to himself and also demons say I know who you are Jesus you are the, the son of the most high you're the son of man why are you coming to torment me right so clearly again history channel wrong that's not a surprise <laughs> but also uh, like Sebastian said people often falsely I mean truly baselessly attribute because Mark is the most simple gospel and they want it to be true that Christianity was um 
created over time, contrived. Um, they'll say, well, because it's the earliest gospel, it, it, you know, Jesus never says that he's God in it. And some people even say he's never said he's, he's God in, in any of the gospels, but it's clearly not true. But even in Mark, it's clearly not true. Not only does he do God alone attributed miracles, not just regular prophetic miracles like healings, but also um, forgiveness of sin, which is a God only thing. Um, but not only that, he also claims to be the prophetic Messiah, the son of God, the son of man, um, who is prophesied emphasizing the connection between Old and New Testament. Yeah. Something you can take away for sure. And one very close and dear to our hearts, when Jesus blasts the Pharisees for their strange traditions that they had invented that went above and beyond. We've done an episode on this too, mm -hmm. on adding traditions that are unbiblical. Mark 7, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands, unclean hands? They haven't washed them. And Jesus said to them, Well, did I say I prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Wow, it's just a face slap right there too. To, to the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. So here's, again, just what you're gleaning from Mark, like you gleaned from Mark, that the Pharisees were um, overemphasizing tradition over uh, the truth, the actual word of God. And so we would bring that just out of the Gospel of Mark. If you're doing apologetics, not only to the atheists, but also to those who are in the legalist world, like Catholics, like Jehovah's Witnesses, like Seventh-day Adventists, who believe that traditions were carried out verbally, orally, somehow, um, that are not found in Scripture, but that are binding to us today. And it's just not true, and here's Jesus doing it. He blasted. He absolutely just blasted off the table. He said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Again, these people, I swear on my mom, ironic, ironically, that Moses told us to do this. And then Jesus says, no. <laughs> right. No, go home. Go home. For any system out there, Christians too, we've got to watch yourselves. Are we adding to the word of God? Are we emphasizing things we shouldn't be emphasizing as right. part even as part even as protestants we can do that like should i do it? yeah the king james version like which bible should uh -huh. we use should we have alcohol or not in church what kind of music we have we have we can have all weird traditions and then you get angry at unjustly at other brothers and sisters and right you imp impose your own personal whims on them even though when did god ever say Thou no dancing yeah. yeah yeah exactly exactly Oh, I could go on, but what I do want to, the, I, want to I want to give uh, two points for sure. Jesus predicts his death three times, over and over again, before it happens, which you might think, well, of course, isn't he God? It, yes, yes. For any atheists out there, though, how can a mere human predict his death and how it's going to happen before it actually happens? So either he's making things up on the spot or he's actually able to tell the future, mm -hmm. which further emphasizes his, the source of his authority, the source of who he is right. and what he's going to accomplish. One that's 
Are we able to address Matthew right now? Or Whatever you want. Okay. I mean, yeah. uh, Theodore's in here. He's got all these Matthew verses. <laughs> He's ready to shoot. Yeah, let's, go ahead. let's flip. So, <laughs> No, I just wanted to throw in another prophecy thing. Yeah, go ahead. Because um, <clears throat> an atheist might object to what you just said, saying, sure. oh, those are self-fulfilled prophecies. He caused himself to die in a certain way or whatever. Obviously, can't really self-fulfill. Well, you have to self-fulfill the resurrection, but nobody can resurrect. So that's a pretty <laughs> unique one. Uh -huh. um, anywho, so all of Matthew starts off with a genealogy. Uh -huh. And no human being can <laughs> self-fulfill who their mother or father uh -huh. is or where they're born yeah. or at what time period in what time frame they're born. And these are all things that are prophesied in the Old Testament, hundreds of years, if not a thousand or so before. And what's interesting to me about Matthew's lineage, again, I would say it's the first gospel um, by its nature. It's also appealing to Jews, which would make sense. Um, but it gives that big lineage. Jesus is in the lineage of kings. Um, but there hadn't been kings in that line in a certain amount of time because the kingdom of Judea was no longer ruled by the Davidic line. It was ruled by priests, and those priests had been usurped by um, choosing from the Greeks. So long story short, this line was not a particularly important line, except that it did um, plug into to David's line, which is the promised line of Messiah. And then on top of that, um, Jesus, like you said, couldn't have chosen his descendancy from kings. He also couldn't have chosen the fact that he was going to be born in Nazareth, um, ends up being born in Bethlehem, right, which is the city of David, but then ends up living in Nazareth. Um, another prophecy of coming from Galilee because of the prophecy about um, from mm -hmm. Isaiah that's also quoted in Matthew where the Gentiles from Galilee have seen a great light, um, Jesus. So all these things being said, there are innate traits about Jesus that couldn't have been picked by him. So they couldn't have been self-fulfilled that he was trying to be Messiah man. They just were his. Plus he was a virgin birth. So <laughs> <laughs> another thing hard to copy, but I understand the, the weariness about that. And as we saw in one of the responses, one of a, I would say a Jewish fellow responded that Jesus, that's, he called him Ben Pantera, which yeah, is uh -huh. a rumor that was, or more like a later on, hundreds of years later, novelty that the Jews said that actually the father of Jesus was a, a legionary name, Pantera. So that was just very unusual yeah. to encounter. Something that you might think it's a cool thing, but it's actually a very important detail that when Jesus is transfigured again, something a normal human wouldn't be able to just become shiny on the spot. We can try all we want, but I think you might give yourself a hernia. Okay, say what you might about the source of Mark, but Mark itself is clearly showing the divinity of Jesus and his transfiguration on the mountain. <laughs> exactly. And I think the only other person that was shiny was Moses' face. After, after being in the presence of God, right? Right. <laughs> and speaking of Moses... And that wore off. Yes. Speaking of Moses, though, Moses up. shows up. So as Elijah to... If you see, if you compare this to Gnostic books, they make up all these weird fictions about the life of Jesus, or like he's able to like craft up, uh, craft up clay birds, whatnot. This one very specific, Elijah and Moses. Why the heck, out of all the prophets, why would Elijah and Moses? Mm -hmm. There's Isaiah who prophesied so many messianic prophecies, but not him, right? Oh, but Isaiah did. No, actually, no. Just kidding. That's not Isaiah. No, not, not then. Yes. Not then. Yeah. <laughs> why Elijah and Moses? I'm. I'm putting you on the spot, but... Oh, this is a question to us. Not our audience. It's the law of the Answer prophets. Answer in the comments right now. 
Well, not only are Elijah and Moses two prophets who were assumed to heaven at some point, so like Moses' body, he goes up to a mountain and they don't like take his body down, meaning some would say that he was assumed from the mountain that he dies on before entering the promised land. And then Elijah, of course, was brought up on a fiery chariot up to heaven. So both were assumed to heaven. Mm -hmm. And then also they also respectively represent, I mean, they're people, they are real people, but they also represent the law and the prophets because Moses was the lawgiver and Elijah was the prophet, a prophet. Yes. And if you notice, in many occasions, just as you, sa you said, Moses became shiny, Elijah speaks directly with God in a cave mm -hmm. in the book of Kings. But does he just say, what's up, God? Here I am. No, he covers his face. He never gets to see God face to face. Otherwise, he would drop dead on the spot. Same with Moses. God had to bail himself. Otherwise, he would just drop dead on the spot. Even bailing himself, he still gets becomes shiny from all the mm -hmm. glory from God. What, what is the meaning of this here? They represent the law and the prophets. Now they get to see fulfilled what they never saw fulfilled in their lifetime. Again, this is, this is pointing like this is what it was leading to. Right. So this is something I, I love to teach in my, in my class for, for Sunday school, how they get to finally see what they could not see in their life. Now they see fulfilled in Christ. Sadly, the Jews, the people who had received the, that life from God for so many years, they reject, they reject him. As you're going to see, God is not just God of the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Also a theme found in Mark. Mm -hmm. Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple, something that wasn't really expected considering the Jews were collaborators with the Roman Empire. Yeah, they're, or they're doing everything to keep in the good graces of those in power, yeah, at least for the past 300 years or however long it been. Exactly. He also predicts the end of the world and his eventual return, the coming of the Son of Man to rule. That's the entire, chap the entire chapter 13. He also predicts one will betray him. One of, you, one of, of the 12 here is going to betray me, meaning Judas. And then all throughout, Jesus quotes scripture, even when he's arrested. Let this be so that scripture may be fulfilled. He says this in chapter 14. Now, there's one I do want to highlight and I want to take the time from that exact chapter 14 because this is when Jesus is finally taken to the high priest you see Muslims love to say this Jesus never said I am God worship me and then you silly person you need to take a nap and rethink your life choices because when the high priest asks asks him all these, all these charges he's quiet no answer and the high priest asked him are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Which, and again, allusion to the Daniel prophecy, which confirms our, our allusion here that him saying he's the Son of Man is not just saying I'm a human. I think it's kind of a plan of words because he is kind of hiding his identity for portions of it. Um, but here he is directly alluding to the prophecy from Daniel when he says coming out of the clouds of heaven and he says plainly to the high priest I am the, the son of the blessed the son of God um, and this is from Mark so uh, you know triple whammy not only do the other gospels say it all the clearer it's equally as clear here's a clear portion from Mark where um, Jesus is deified if that's what you call it where Jesus is declaring that he is God that he is deity and don't take it from just us Take it from the high priest. And the high priest tore his garments, like any normal person would, uh -huh. and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. 
if he's just joking or not saying he is God or the son of man like in Daniel, why the heck would they be tearing up their nice clothes or telling him to die? Mm -hmm. Again, the audience back then interpreted as he is attributing divinity, divinity to himself. Not just a demigod, but the one and true God himself. And even so, so first of all, checkmate atheist, I guess, that Mark has <laughs> has the deification of Jesus is pretty plain. Stop saying that it doesn't, that it's some growing deification of him and then finally deifies him in, in John. But before then, he was just a man. Um, not true. Here he is deified in Mark. But also um, to those liberal Christians out there who say that Jesus's mission was to speak truth to power and to upset the powers that be, blah, blah, blah. Um, he does upset the powers that be. Yeah, I'm not going to deny that here. He upsets the, the high priest. But notice that they, at the very least, though they were unjust and we have an unjust trial, they were trying to find some charge to stick on him so they could have some righteous justification for putting him to death. And he doesn't speak truth to power by saying, like, stop oppressing my people. That wasn't his final words to the high priest. His final testification, his testifying to the high priest, wasn't like all your laws are bunk. He does say all that. I mean, he says all that. So he is speaking truth to power in that way. But his final words that do get him crucified are, I am the Christ and you shall see me judge, you know, like he, she claims to be God. That is why he came to um, die for the sins of the world and then to come back and judge the world. It was not to speak truth to power. He did that because he's righteous and that was important for the time. And how can a righteous man stand around while bad law interpretation is happening? But his main purpose was to say what he does to the high priest. And that is what gets him killed. He does not die to speak truth to power or to show us that he, he loved us or whatever else. He did all that, but he died to pay for the sins of the world and to come back in glory. Mm -hmm. Exactly. When he, even when he prays in the garden before being arrested, he says, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will, submitting to the will of the Father mm -hmm. who willed this to happen, as we see later in Acts. So it's like God wanted all of this to happen the way it did for Christ to sacrifice himself for the sin of the world. And he's talking about the wrath, the cup of the wrath of God. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in Revelation, the cups of the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. And it's because why would he want that cup to get aw get away from him? Another because uh, attack on the liberals, right? Because the liberal Christians, that is, liberal Christians also don't like that God's wrath would be poured out on the sun. Um, I even saw some weird commenter on Gab.com that said that Yahweh wouldn't have poured the wrath out on Jesus. It was or true God wouldn't have, but Yahweh is like actually Satan, and that Satan poured out his wrath on God and was pleased to crush uh, Jesus on the cross and uh, you know. Whatever weird tradition you have that says that God would not pour out wrath on Jesus, clearly, like you said, Christ is alluding to the cup of God's wrath, as you said. Isaiah talks about the common analogy for God's wrath as being filled in a cup. As he says, please let this cup pass from me, but he takes it. Um, anyways, it is God's wrath that's going to be poured out on him, as Jesus is even saying mm -hmm. in his last prayer there in Mark, the earliest gospel, if you want to call it that. Showing sure, he was fully aware he is going to bear the brunt of, of the sin of the world. Mm -hmm on him so that by his sacrifice we can have peace with God again and then tithing with repentance and faith by repenting and believing this is how he imputes his blood his sacrifice on us mm -hmm. why sacrifice you have all the connections from the Old Testament about the requirement of blood to remove sin so he is the ultimate sacrifice again this is just all from all from Mark. Mm -hmm. So we have also the story of Pilate, how he accused him and he just wanted to appease the crowds. He asked, are you the king of the Jews? And he said, you have said so. 
so again, not that the book doesn't have historical context, but even more historical context, real people that really ruled a reasonable decision by Pilate just happened to be the unfaithful one. So you can see this is a rooted in history actual event. And they called, and then he says, what should I do with this? The king of the Jews, they cried out, crucify him. The Jews cried out, crucify him. Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. And Pilate says, okay, I'll just give him up. So they were calling for his death. He is mocked. They, the, the Romans, they divide his garments, as it was predicted in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Matthew addresses that more directly. And then they crucified him. And he cries out the famous as he's about to die Eloi, Eloi, sabachthani, which means my god my god why have you forsaken me something that triggers me people say this means that jesus god is so sad him. he's like completely abandoned jesus i'm like eh, no he's quoting psalm 22 to show them what is happening at this moment he's saying the opening verses of that song because it was supposed to be sung in church and synagogue mm -hmm what is happening what you're seeing right now is the fulfillment of this psalm my enemies surround me they have divided my my clothes they shake their heads at me all of that from from the psalm fulfilled right before their very eyes and at the end of that psalm the messiah comes in glory and is fulfilled by by god so again it was a uh pertinent song in the moment talking about what's happening right then and that he would come to glory afterwards and beauty and now with, and then uh, I'll talk about the resurrection. One last thing I do want to mention here. The curtain in the temple is torn. That curtain was gigantic. It probably weighed as much as a car. So you needed oxen to pull it apart. This is in the temple of in Jerusalem. What they divided was the inner part of the temple, which was back in the day where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And that's where the high priest would go in once a year to atone, commune with God and took a lot of effort to separate that. What that symbolizes is separation between humans and God. Only the high priest and only the high priest could go in once, once a year for the ceremony of atonement. What happens? He dies, Jesus dies. This gigantic veil curtain, whatever you want to call it, gets torn in two, meaning the separation between God and humans has ended. Yep. Oh, there's the Old Testament fulfilled. Holy smokes. Literally holy smokes because there were a lot of holy smokes in the uh -huh. temple. <laughs> and then the Spirit of God departs the temple. But that's, that's, that's Josephus. So you don't have to, you don't have to be necessarily believe that. And then once he dies, he's buried. <clears throat> then afterwards, Mary Magdalene married the mother of James and Salome. They go to the tomb. They find the tomb empty. And an angel says to them, do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Just as he told you. Wow. It's almost as if it was foreordained by God. Mm -hmm. Who would have guessed? And they fled from the tomb, for, trem for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So 
I just want to re-emphasize in case you've gotten lost here or gotten distracted. The Gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel. Again, if you hear atheists, if you hear apologia, who we did a reaction to, if you hear other atheists, if you hear sometimes liberal Christians or opponents of the Bible, they will tell you that Mark is the prototype. It's incomplete. It doesn't have all the Bible story things you've heard about. They'll list off the stuff that are not included in that story. They'll be like, where are the wise men, huh? Huh? Where's the lineage of Jesus, huh? Huh? Um, does, you know, does Judas get betrayed this way or, that, or does Judas betray this way or that way? And they'll, they'll point out small things that are not present in a shortened, summarized gospel. Again, the prevailing theory from Christians today is that Mark is a intentionally shortened gospel for the purposes of sharing more broadly in the church. It's why it also doesn't have a happy ending. It just has Jesus get crucified and and um, the Resurrection Sunday happening and the women going away terrified. But it doesn't have the full Great Commission. It doesn't have any of that. Um, the thought is that Jesus would have been raised from the dead. There's a long ending of Mark, which we dispute these days, that was tacked on the end because of its shortened ending. In any case, it's probably a summary um, gospel. But even if you just take this summary gospel, it has all the important things in it, as much as Bart Ehrman and others would, would decry otherwise. You know, where's this tiny little story? Where is it? I, I don't see it. Ah. Or they'll, they'll quote things that are quoted in Mark, in Matthew, or in Luke, where they share the same wording. Um, we don't take those to mean that Mark is the earliest gospel, but even if you do, it has all the essentials repentance from sin it has that jesus is god it doesn't need to be deified later in later gospels he is god and mark and then it has the full gamut of the story the fulfilled prophecies the whole gamut so you can get what you need from mark if you only had mark there are many other things we could talk about this is just my attempt to be as mm -hmm. brief highlight as many as many important details to me of course as possible you can go over the parables you can go over all the dialogue that jesus had you could spend hours on this, but what I hope that you can see is you can gather a lot of Christian belief, essential Christian belief, just from the Gospel of Mark, which, as we are reiterating here, was intended as a summary for already existing and believing Christians that understood what their foundation of their faith was. This was just to reemphasize, summarize for quick reference. Yep. So don't be intimidated if you're a Christian listening. Don't be intimidated when somebody comes at you and saying, Mark was the first gospel and it doesn't have all these things. They're all missing. Just know what's in Mark. If you know your Bible well and you remember what's in Mark, know what's in Mark specifically and you can respond with all the things that are true from Mark and that way you don't even have to have the argument about what the other gospels say. However, we're presuppositional on this podcast. I mean, we do presuppose the whole Bible is true. So we, we presuppose that Matthew is also the word of God. And we would attest that Matthew is probably the first gospel. Again, not a hill we die on, but we would attest to it. If you grant us that, atheists, or if you're a Christian, your opponents grant you that. We have some really powerful verses that Theodore has collected from Matthew. I've memorized Matthew at some point in my life. It's starting to, to be lost in me now because it's really hard to memorize and keep that with you. But uh, Theodore has only picked the most encouraging verses from Matthew that you should um use sparingly to respond to those who you're trying to evangelize because they're not actually encouraging. They're all the hell ones. Um, we want to show, <laughs> <laughs> show you that uh, how you can respond with them in love to show the direness of needing to repent and believe in God. Again, from what we would attest is the first gospel. It's not a later edition. It's the first gospel and it has hell prominently themed because it is a serious life or death issue, whether or not you are in Christ or outside of Christ. Well, what do you think? Do you want me to go straight to hell or <laughs> do whatever you want? You, you're the collector of these verses you want to share from Matthew. Okay. <clears throat> sure. Let's go straight to hell. Okay. Um, so book me on our website. I can come to your local uh, <laughs> street corner um, preaching hell. And, um, do you have a megaphone? Brimstone. A, a big a fire shirt? Fire and brimstone. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I yeah. can get you a gusher no, I wear, shirt. I wear okay. a shirt that's burning at Ooh. the time with some anti uh 
flame <laughs> something on myself so I don't I don't know got it uh-huh. anyway let's start at Matthew ten twenty eight. I actually didn't jot down the actual verse so if somebody has that that might be good but um it's, sure yeah let's Matthew ten twenty eight. if only I still had Sorry. it memorized yeah you gotta it's memorize right in the it middle. Matthew and Michael you gotta memorize it again 28 yeah hold this this is all yours oh okay I hope it's in English yes it is in English uh, konnichiwa. Uh, <laughs> Matthew 20, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell or Gehenna. Mm-hmm. And this is wow. Jesus talking to the disciples, telling them to go um, and preach the gospel from the hilltops and not to be afraid. And he says, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body because they can't kill the soul. But God meaning he says fear the one who can meaning god can kill both ugadi and soul in like you said in gehenna in the burning fires in hell not just sheol but hell yeah matthew uh 25 verse 41 did you look that way? i did <laughs> okay. i took a strike sweet um then he will say to those on his left depart from me you cursed into eternal fire prepared for the oh well okay so this is also not about leftists um, even though <laughs> so those on they, the left on his left these are <laughs> this is the parable in case you're running Jesus these are all red letters in case you're also for the Christians in the audience if you're talking to some particular red letter Christians who say they only believe the red letters meaning the words that Jesus specifically spoke these are all red letters I think most of them that we're going to quote here this is Jesus speaking he's giving a parable about um, the good and the bad the sheep his his sheep that are saved are on his right and right. the goats are on his left. Yeah, I was just going to add a little extra context. So verse 32, it starts with, Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from uh, one, uh, people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he placed the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, the goats, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also say, uh, then they'll answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or in prison? and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Um, yeah, that basically sums that? up. What's that? And what would you get from that? Um, I mean, it might be obvious to the listener or the reader, but what would you get from that? Right, so basically, um, the end after the final judgment of God, you will be eternally separated into either eternal life with God in the presence of God, or you will uh, be apart from him. You will be cursed, um, sent away, cast off um, into fire, torment, whatever it may be. And I <laughs> like to add this caveat, um, the traditional, can I do this? Yeah. <laughs> traditional view of hell um, held by most Christians these days um, is that 
Including or, me and Sebastian, as I was going to say. Right. Theodore's always thinking on this hell stuff. If you've seen our other hell things before, <laughs> you'll know why he's pontificating about this, but go ahead. Right. So, um, tra- traditional view is that et- um, the righteous will go into eternal life, meaning life that is continual, t- continual, ongoing, never-ending, eternal, everlasting, and it is life, and it is quality life. It is good life. It is life with God. Um, life where God's will um, persists and our will is like his. We are pleased um, to be in his presence and to basically basically exist as existence is best. <laughs> I mm. suppose one could put it. Shema Israel. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so then... One view that I'm also sympathetic to, and I think can be argued for pretty well from Scripture, um, is the view of annihilationism or conditional immortality. So this view, it again says that, well, uh, I'll start with conditional immortality. It basically is saying that um, God alone is immortal, as it says in like a First Timothy two or Second Timothy two. Um, and then humans are not inherently immortal. Um, we are, we're all going to die. And scripture says we are appointed to die once and then face judgment. Um, and then, so the, our punishment will certainly be everlasting and eternal in its result, but not necessarily being tormented continually ongoing in like an active manner. Uh, by God so it's still obviously something to be feared (laughs) that um, you're either going to be in basically in God's grace or outside of God's grace and therefore you're going to be thrown into a lake of fire you're going to be dead you're going to be tormented you're going to not be in the grace of God Um, and then well, and I'll take two J. Grace note too. I think on a positive yeah, note, okay. the, the a, a common attack from atheists, a random cheap shot, is that the only reason you you believe in the Bible is because you're afraid of hell. And how would you you know would you obey a father who was always just threatening you and you're just afraid of his whip? First of all, that is the way you motivate kids often. So I, I don't have a problem with that. But second of all, <laughs> um, the, the so like I guess that's the end of it. But also, we're not only afraid of hell, yeah, but we're actually looking forward to life eternal. Life eternal starts now. As soon as you repent in, to, to Jesus Christ and turn to him, you are born again then in spirit and mind. It is your body that needs to die and then be resurrected again. And that will that is something we we'll all look forward to. We all Christians are looking forward to the new body and the new earth and, and all that happiness and goodness. But um, the gifts start now, the positive gifts start now and they will continue in the future. So it's not just that we fear the stick, the rod, the, the hell, but we also um, are looking forward to the hope that is in Christ. So it's not just fear of hell, but also um, good gifts that we love the lord for as a wise man once said fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom so there is a respectful fear towards god because he is creator of the universe he sustains us he created us he shaped us from birth so you should be in awe and mm-hmm. in, a, in a way timid because he is like a, the ultimate king of the universe and we are tiny puny as humans many people don't like that idea but that's part of the rebellion against them. Mm-hmm. Now, I think I'm pretty sure Sir I always I always confuse these people. Take the heart of stone and make it into heart of flesh. Please say it's Jeremiah. 
Might be Ezekiel, but okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. <laughs> One of them said yes. Is Part it both? I think it's just Ezekiel, okay. but okay. Oh no. They're going to hate me. Oh. In God's, speaking of God's kingdom, we're going to say, oh, it's that guy that kept quoting me wrong. Anyway, anyway. Take the heart of stone and make it into heart of flesh. Jesus quotes that too. There's a transformation that happens for every believer. So what you used to delight in your sin and just completely, I mean, to different degrees, depart yourself from God. You now find joy and delight in the atonement of Christ, in the Trinity, in the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. in the law of God, you name it. So there definitely is a transformation. So it's not just plain old fear. I would say anyone can fear God. But in order to delight in him, it's part of the package, part mm -hmm. of the salvation package, if you if you want to call it that way. Yeah. And then equally, I'll just note also off that. Um, some people will think that Jesus never talks about Satan or whatever. I don't know where they get that. It's not not from the Bible because he does talk about Satan. Here. Oh, yeah. in, 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 Mark, he he tells, in Mark, he tells P Peter, get behind me, Satan, when he says, no, you shall not die in the cross. Right. Jesus. So, so people who are like, Satan's not real or some figment or whatever. Yeah, he's not that oftenly talked about. Just like angels and demons just aren't a very oftenly talked about topic in the Bible. However, Satan is referred to red letter several times, including here in Matthew. And um, notice that the, the pit, this, this hell, is made for Satan and his angels. Meaning that if you believe that Satan deserves, you know, all the punishment, but maybe, you know, people don't, if you're a universalist or something like that, realize that here Jesus is saying the punishment that's reserved for the devil and his angels is also given to men, the wicked men. So it's all the same evil punishment. It's not like uh, men are all rescued and, and only Satan is punished. Clearly, men are going to punishment, the same punishment that Satan and his angels are getting. Yeah, and uh, going off of Matthew twenty five forty six. um the eternal life versus eternal punishment. Mm -hmm. um, I also have it that Jude 1 verse 7 uh, says that Sodom and Gomorrah are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So I'm sure uh, nobody really wants to be in Sodom and Gomorrah um, with that happening. Second Peter 2 verse <laughs> 6 is he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by mm -hmm. reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And then back to Matthew. I just got uh, five quick verses here. Matthew 3, verse 10. Uh, Jesus likens it to a tree that is cut down and thrown into the fire, a.k.a. those who are not uh, righteous, not in, mm -hmm. within his grace. Matthew 3, verse 12. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's actually fi John the Baptist in Matthew 3, but yes. Oh. Still a word of God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew 13. Uh, verses 40 and 50, it talks about tares being burned with fire, a.k.a. the weeds among the wheat, mm -hmm. um, and also being thrown into the furnace of fire. Matthew 18, verse 8, it's better to enter life crippled, which is heaven, eternal life, mm -hmm. uh, crippled and lame. Well, nobody's going to enter crippled and lame, but <laughs> physically, it's better to be crippled or lame and to enter the kingdom of God than to be cast into the fire with both your hands and feet. Um, and then Matthew 22, 7 and 13, uh, this last one for this topic. But the king was in this, uh, Jesus is t uh, telling a parable about uh, basically king and disobedient servants and workers. And eventually, after the king has been so gracious to them, um, they kill, he sent his son to them and they killed him. 
Um, and then it says, but the king was enraged and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Um, and verse 13 is, he will throw them into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then did you want to comment at, on that? or? I mean, I, we could touch on the hell thing. I'm, I'm a proponent of regular old hell, traditional eternal hell. <laughs> um, and I think these, these verses do exemplify that, like the, the contrast between eternal life and eternal death. I would say both are eternal. Um, just on the opposite sides and equally here weeping and gnashing of teeth this is clearly a lasting punishment it's something that you're consciously being punished with it's not a not a destruction annihilation at least not initially I, it's not a hill i die on i just am suspicious of things that aren't my um well-established tradition and i think rightfully so <laughs> in any case yeah that's not really the subject of our thing but just so that you hear it from my mouth too so just as much as we can get the life of jesus there's also a lot of touching on the topic of hell mm -hmm. which is something that makes many modern people I mean, even origin made him whatever a right. weirdo made him uncomfortable so it is something that god clearly spent the time on so it should be a foundational belief yeah that we all hold to and so that's that's why we're if you if you've wondered why we suddenly wandered into the whole topic of hell it's because we got mark um, and all the the factoids that people try to challenge um, Christianity on, whether or not Jesus actually says he's God, and does he actually, is repentance actually a way to salvation, blah, blah, blah. Is he actually historical? Um, and then equally, a lot of liberal Christians or others that challenge Christianity hate hell because they hate judgment, right? So here we're also showing that in what we believe is the earliest gospel of Matthew, hell is talked about probably the most, I think, of any of the gospels, if I'm not mistaken. And other gleanings from Matthew, I think you have un-hell un related gleanings from Matthew, yeah? Right. Three more uh, takeaways. So we got Matthew 7, verse 12, the golden rule, basically. Well, mm -hmm. better than the golden rule. And every elementary school rule. has got the golden rule over there. Matthew 7, verse 12, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. And... So Matthew's not all hellfire and brimstone. It's also, you know, the good stuff, the golden rule. It does have Mark basically all within it, except for some of the pieces of Mark. But then it warns you uh, in the next two <laughs> verses. <laughs> Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for mm -hmm. the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it, which means you better be searching for it. Right. And... And it does address the issue that there are more ways to God than just Jesus, like Buddha or exactly. Allah. Many who say that, but it's not the narrow gate. Yes. Well, we have to be mindful of some people equate disagreeing with someone nowadays per, to being mean or offensive to mm -hmm. someone. You can disagree with someone and be very civilized about it. You can tell them this is where differences are from. Please repent and come to God. I mean, you're not stabbing anyone. You're not beating up anyone with a literal club. You could be metaphorically doing that, but you're not literally assaulting anybody. So likewise, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He calls himself over and over with allusions to the Old Testament. I am the bread of life. I am the fountain of life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah. So there is only one way. He is truly the narrow gate. And we should be searching him, as you well said. <laughs> and then my last one. Matthew 25, verses 34 to 36. Again, talking about um, the sheep on his right. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger and you invited me in. So I thought this was just a good juxta juxtaposition of like the predestination, but also a sense of free will. Um, like God knows you, he has prepared a place for you um, from the foundation of the world. If you are his sheep, if you are in his flock, if you allow yourself to be shepherded by him, or if he calls you to be his sheep. <laughs> I'll include all those uh, phrases. Um, but then it gives you a practical um, way maybe to um, show yourself that you are... it. Sorry. How do well, I what this really does, like uh, what I would take this as, some I don't I don't know many of them personally, but some Arminians at least would characterize Calvinists who believe that God chooses His people and then brings them to Him, and that it's not a free will choice, though He does change the will of those who who choose Him. God actually chooses before the foundation of the world. That here is a verse where Jesus is saying He's prepared a place for His particular sheep that He's going to bring to the foundation of the world. But notice these sheep don't just sit on their butts like God chose them and they're like, oh yeah, now it's time to eat Cheetos and wait for the end. Um, he says they're the ones that that um, gave Jesus, but but by that he means the poor, like people who, who are lesser and therefore Jesus is the poor and whoever else. Um, something to eat. He visited those in prison. You know, they put clothes on the naked, etc. Um, these, these sheep were doing acts of good in life. Um, so they're not just eating Cheetos. They're not just sitting around. They are exhibiting the kingdom on earth and then the kingdom in heaven, eventually. Well put. Thank yeah. you. So don't sit in your butt. Even if you're Calvinist, whatever, and you think you're, you think you're the, the chosen one, um, you still work. I mean, the chosen ones work. That's what the chosen ones do. So if you're not working, I mean, woe to you. You might not be chosen. We are the tools of the Spirit of God mm -hmm. to be transforming the world into his kingdom. Yep. And that is why we have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you've enjoyed this message. Um, hopefully it was useful to you, whether you're an atheist listening or you're a Christian who wants to speak to an atheist or Jehovah's Witness or uh, anybody rejecting hell. Whoever it is, you can get a lot out of the Gospels. The Word of God is full and living and is the sword of God. So don't be intimidated if somebody tries to limit the Word of God by saying you can only use one chapter or one book. Um, I would reject those premises outright, but you can still use the sword of the Word. It is still sharp, even if you just use Mark. Thank you for listening. I've been Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my left has been... Theodore, off the couch. And to his left has been... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Thanks for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can go to foundcause.podbean.com and download all of our episodes for your listening pleasure. That is audio only, though. If you want to see our beautiful faces, you have to go to youtube.com and look us up there, or you can search us on facebook.com forward slash foundcause. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you might find your podcast. So until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thank you for listening, and bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.